Welcome to another episode of RPG Hour. Today we're going to be talking about Dungeon Crawl Classics. As always, I'm joined by... Hi, I'm Mrs. RPG. That's the most unenthusiastic... I'm sorry, you caught me in the middle of like a half-yawn burp thing that was happening, and I just I had to recover first. <laughs> and we're also joined by our friend... Jonathan Andrews. So, Jonathan, how long have you been playing RPGs? Many, many years. <laughs> More than 20. Have you ever played Dungeon Crawl Classics before? Never. So, having read what you did, having played what you did for Dungeon Crawl Classics, and having just skimmed through the character creation, what do you think about the zero-level characters and the idea of having a zero-level at all? Well, um, in this system, Zero's level's a lot different than I've seen it before, but it works well because they do the character branch tree thing, where you have four characters. Uh, that way, <laughs> although you might like some of your characters more than others, it's the ones that do cool things that, and, and survive that get through it, and you have an, at least someone who's done something awesome at the end of it. Uh, the infamous character funnel is a lot of fun. Um, so one of the things I definitely liked about the zero level characters for this versus what I've seen in the past is you actually get a character. They actually can do things. Other systems that I've seen zero level characters for, it's... I mean, you have first level hit points in this zero level versus others it's like, you have one hit point and your character <laughs> can use a dagger. And, you know, I mean, in, in this, you have the ability to use other things and... Um, you know, it gives you that chance where if it's a skill set something, you might be able to have a chance to do it because, oh, you're a barber. Well, barbers back then also did a little surgery, so right. maybe you could maybe you could doctor up that person. But so I kind of like the 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 beautiful overarching level zero character idea. Um, not too keen on the 100% randomization that they want you to do in the book. <laughs> uh, I like the ability to choose a little bit. I think it's, it's kind of fun because. <clears throat> you have all these characters and it's like it's like if if a if a fantasy setting were real were real life this is exactly how it would start you are from a small town you have your family trade and something happens and you get thrust into adventuring you have no skills you have no abilities or talents and you just suddenly oh hey i found a thing i'm gonna be this now i guess well and i mean as as we were talking about while we were playing um it, it almost has like the starting character from some animes like you literally see in some animes um which won't name it specifically but there's an anime where the character goes to a chest pulls out his dad's armor, pulls out his dad's sword, and starts adventuring. He has no training in that armor or that sword, but yet here he is off doing an adventure. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that that's kind of a fun little caveat that they have. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that the fact that you actually do get uh, some usage on a critical table is uh, definitely kind of fun. Um, I, I think that the fact that uh, there's a table of almost 100 different options for level zeros uh, is kind of fun. There's a couple that are doubled up, um, but for the most part, it is a, almost a 100 
occupation table starting stuff. Um, which those of you who have never ever played Dungeon Crawl Classics, you create four level zero characters. Uh, for instance, if you rolled a 71, you'd be a court jester who has a dart weapon and you start with some silk goods. That sounds like uh, Final Fantasy VII characters. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you start with uh, four of these characters and you funnel them through and the last one or two characters that you have left alive are going to level up. Um, the module that we played is something that I've been working on since 2017. Um, the idea is that it funnels down to where you only have a character or two. Hmm. Um, and they should technically uh, be able to advance to level one during that time. However, this is designed for three to five players and we only had two. <laughs> Um, I think we did pretty good for just two players, especially given that our DM is a homicidal maniac. <laughs> I am not a homicidal maniac. The Falcon. That's actually something that happens. Any familiar or creature that is there, if they eat part of the pumpkin, they become. Now, had your shaman actually gotten a bite? Oh God, I forgot. He actually that was... would have. He actually would have become a pumpkin creature himself. <laughs> eat the pumpkin he wanted to turn it into whiskey he True. wanted to drink the pumpkin um, had he discovered a way to drink the pumpkin instantly uh, he would have become uh, a pumpkin um, no no he would have waited a year and then turned into a pumpkin <laughs> <laughs> randomly a year later out adventuring and you know completely put the po whole pumpkin fiasco behind him suddenly begins to feel strange and erupts into a pumpkin. <laughs> but, but the idea was that... Uh, so, I mean, th th there are some interesting character funnels that other people have written that I've read. Uh, one of them is basically a Robin Hood scenario where everybody shows up to shoot at a... Um, uh, uh, I can't even think of it. Uh, Archery not... tournament? No, no, no. The, 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 the target. Target. That's what I was trying to think of. I kept wanting to say goal. I kept wanting to say goal. And I'm like, that's not the right word. Oh, no, man. they're all supposed to shoot at a target. Yeah. But two of the players had crossbows, so he allowed it. Then one of the players was like, well, I have an axe. Can I just throw my axe at it? So everybody's doing all these different things trying to lob downhill and actually get in the center point. And he said that nobody actually got the center point. Um... And, uh, but the way that it is, it's, it's a festival. You go through and you do all these little events and you gain experience points by completing the task. So the better you are at completing it, the more experience points you get. And once you hit 10 experience points, which technically these two characters are the only ones that actually hit 10 experience points. <laughs> um, well, the might have, but they're dead. So yeah. they're good. <laughs> we wouldn't uh, know. I think you, the only person that wouldn't have was the merchant because he was immediately <laughs> eaten. You go to the first level once you hit uh, to experience points, which I've seen in a lot of things. Um, do I let the players exp uh, advance to level one while we're in the middle of the dungeon? Or do I wait until after the character funnel? Um, <laughs> so it, it, it can change, uh, which the time that we ran um, the uh, uh, Under but the Stars... Every single one of them was... Oh, every... Ew. Those, y'all, actually, I, I ran it wrong. Y'all were supposed to advance to level one with a couple of those characters. That would have been really helpful. What also would have been really helpful is that the other players were remotely competent. <laughs> it's really dark down here, and I think there's a large creature. We're level zero. Let's go fight it. 
that is the other thing that I've, I, I've noticed. Some players are not used to the idea of low-level characters, period. Not even just zero-level. The idea of a first-level character being something that's just starting out. They're like, yes! Which is why my immediate reaction to, hey, there's these pumpkin monsters. They're eating goblins. Maybe we should leave. <laughs> <laughs> if the goblins could kill us and they're eating the goblins, then let's fight them. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is a great idea. Which, the funny thing is, none of y'all actually ever found the old guy. Yeah, um, we forgot. Was he turning into a pumpkin? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. Uh, he's actually drunk over the far hill. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good we didn't find him then, because we would have killed him. <laughs> you brought us out here, and you are sitting here fine and drunk off your butt. Actually, if you find him, he's a level two spellcaster. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> okay, so we wouldn't have killed him, but we would have attacked him. <laughs> so, get your old ass back to town, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Even though y'all didn't attempt any skills, what do you think about the idea of a d20 for skills that makes sense for your class and occupation versus a d10 for something that doesn't? I think that makes sense. Um, because if it's something that makes sense for your occupation, it's something you have at least basic experience of, you have knowledge of how it's supposed to work, whereas if it's something that has nothing to do with your occupation, you maybe have seen it in market, but you don't actually know any of the, you know, fine points of doing whatever action it is. So that makes a lot of sense. And it gives someone the opportunity to try to expand their character skills. Um, I like the mechanic, and in a broader sense, I like the occupations because they're a quick way to give a character secondary skills, like from Rollmaster or from uh, the occupations from second edition, um, the non-combat proficiencies. But they don't take a lot of time to do, and they don't take over the game, and you don't have to spend a lot of time on them. They're just stuff that your character can do. I think that they did. A, I think that they did it really well. I think that it's a quick, simple thing, and I think the description that they give as an example in the book is really cool. Second level wizard was once a scribe. His friend, a second level warrior, once a blacksmith. While adventuring, they discover a magic anvil. Any sword forged on the anvil gains special powers. The warrior can make a trained attempt to forge a sword, given his background in blacksmithing, and would roll a one d twenty. On a blacksmithing skill check, the wizard is untrained and would roll a 1d10 on his check. Later in the adventure, they find a strange tome with foreign writing. The wizard, with his background as a scribe, can translate the tome as a trained skill. The warrior would have to make an untrained check. Mm -hmm. And so I, th I think that it, it goes beyond just saying, oh, my character's a warrior, oh, my character's this. Like, It gives them background, too. I think one of the coolest ones that we did was when we ran it with my, uh, my nephew... He had a noble, a barber, and a... I think the other one was a chef. And a candlestick maker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the noble ended up noping out of the situation, got in a boat, pedaled out of there. Wait, that was an option? <laughs> <laughs> he stole the boat and left everybody stranded. Oh, okay. um, as nobles do. As nobles do. Um but the, I'm too important to be here. <laughs> the chef leveled up, and he decided that the chef, having found a magical tome, was going to take become a wizard. Hmm. So now he's got a level one wizard 
who used to be a chef. <laughs> so potions, alchemy, things like that would be. And good, that's that's actually what he inquired about. He was like, "So does this mean I get to make potions? Because I, I know how to cook and I know how to do magic." And so it, it was something that's not really addressed in the the game itself. Is you know how do you combine them? But I liked that. So I was like, "Yes, you can make a potion. You just got to find." The time and the stuff. It's like an assumed skill at that point because it's like, okay, well, I ha- I know how to do this thing over here. I know how to do this thing over yeah. here. And when I combine the two, it does this. I think it's also cool because they make it so that you can attempt pretty much anything with your stats. Um, anybody can attempt to listen in on something or jump across a, a gap in the ground or a, a gap between two points or you know anybody can attempt these things and so you can go in there and instead of looking at it as a trained or untrained thing you roll the d20 with your stat and uh, you can kind of go from there which I mean uh, a zero level character sheet is really not that much I mean it fits on an index card <laughs> yeah um, so I mean it's kind of it's kind of very very forward on what you get to do um, I think personally uh, the only thing that they could add would be a way to gain additional occupations at a later point. There's nothing really in the book that I have seen. I may have missed this at some point. But, I mean, I think that it would make sense if your character decides they're going to go train for a while as a blacksmith that they also get the occupational background as a blacksmith. Um, I mean, of course, you can always roleplay that out. But I, I think that I would also like to see something like that in the mechanics itself. Granted, there's a lot of really cool mechanics in this game. So, I mean, asking for more is kind of like looking a gift horse in the mouth. Um, because, I mean, this... If you haven't looked at the book, it's very beautiful and it's very simplistic all at one time. Um, well, but with the trained and untrained uh, um, rules being so simple, that makes it really easy to just roleplay it out, like you say. Yeah. I spent two weeks, four weeks learning fletching. Therefore, when I go to Fletch Arrows, I can spend, use a D20 instead of a D10. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> Why you not? Have, you, have, you would almost treat it like almost as if that, sk- that occupation itself was a zero level. Because you're, you've just started trying to do this thing. Mm-hmm. I like the critical tables. Oh, yeah. Um, I know some people out there don't like critical tables that tell you exactly what happens. But one of the things that I like about this versus other critical tables is that it doesn't take away the damage you're already going to do. It adds to it. And so instead of being like, oh, you now do this damage, you're still doing your regular damage, and then it's adding an effect onto that. And, um, I mean, for instance, on the critical table three, um, which is used for clerics, halflings, warriors, and dwarves, foe steps into attack, inflict plus 1d8 damage with this strike. So you're taking whatever damage you do, which is going to be like a D4 to a D10, and you're now also doing a D8. I think that's nice, a nice little, like, just, even though it's you didn't roll very high on there, you can actually kill something with that. Yeah. So I, I think that they did some really good things. I think what I love is basically every page that you turn to is a different rule set or fluff piece. Mm-hmm. Unlike some systems where you've got, like, five or six pages for one rule... Mounted Combat is one page. Uh, Mighty Deeds of Arms it is a couple of pages, but each one of the pages has like a different something. Besides that, it's such a cool rule. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> go over that, go over that. 
<laughs> yeah, that's okay, really so cool. Okay, so if you've never actually gone and checked out DCC, um, when you level up into a warrior, you get what's called uh, a mighty deed. Uh, a warrior can declare a mighty deed of arms or a deed for short prior to any attack. If his deed die comes up as a three or better and the attack lands, the total attack roll exceeds the target's AC, the deed succeeds. That's directly from the book. So what's happening here is you get you get a separate die that you're going to roll every time you make an attack it, when you when you announce this. So say for instance I, um, I've got a warrior and he's going to attack the dark elf, and so I'm going to roll my deed die. At first level I get a deed three, so I've only got a one in three chance for actually <laughs> succeeding. But if I make a three, then I do this special action, and the way that it works is you're just fluffing up whatever you're going to do. Uh, going into it, you can disarm, you can blind, um, you can push the enemy back, you can trip or throw, you can uh, precise shot them. Uh, you can even rally an ally. You can, you can even use it to say, hey guys, come on over, give them a boost. It can work for defensive things, and then you can also come up with signature moves. <laughs> signature moves are cool. Yeah, so the whole idea behind a signature deed is that you think of something that you want to do, and then you declare, hey, I'm doing this. Um, and so ba basically your character is going to do a uh, flying elbow to the every single enemy. That's what the thing is going to do. They'll find something to jump up on and plow down. That's what's going to happen. And the thing about signature deeds is once you have a signature deed, that becomes the deed that you generically do if you forget to say what you're going to do. Uh, that is what your character's go-to maneuver is. And then you can also have, um, there's also weapon-specific stuff. But, I mean, it's just kind of a cool thing that happens. It's a very simplistic rule. There's not a whole lot to it. But it adds a flair that you just don't see in other games. It's basically, hey... You know that cool thing that Conan does, or that cool thing that Red Sonia does, and I, I mean it's right there. Like, bam, you've got this. And the signature deeds. If you go out there, you go onto forums. Some of the signature deeds people are coming up with. Some of them are just absolutely hilarious. Um, I read one one time that was a uh, every time this person succeeds, they do a wedgie on the person, <laughs> um, an atomic wedgie to deal damage. Uh, so I mean. Which is to deal damage. <laughs> so basically, they just run around and they were atomic wedging uh, all these things. Because uh, in higher levels, you get stuff like a D10 plus something. So mm -hmm. it's kind of easy to hit that three or higher. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they're running around. And um, I mean, if you listen to some of the actual play uh, podcasts that are out there for DCC, as soon as the warrior hits uh, right about level four, level five, uh, which granted, there's only ten levels, so there's it's not like you're there after a few sessions. But once they hit that, it's almost every single time they're hitting that mighty deed. They're getting that awesome thing. Um, and every class has a little something that they do. Um, so it's, it's kind of fun that way. Well, with that one, it becomes a really easy way for the GM, who may or may not like coming up with rules on the fly, to when the fighter says... Can I jump off of this, drive my sword into his head, and knock his head off? The, the DM says, okay, sure, do a mighty deed. 
And it may do extra damage, it may not, but it would look really cool. And if he pulls off the Mighty Deed, then at least that gives him a mechanic for it. Basically, in so many systems, I see the fight. If you're a fighter, I hit him. Oh, yeah. I hit him. Okay, it's your turn. I hit him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hit him again. <laughs> it's so boring. It's just mind-boggling. But with this, you can actually go, okay, wait, okay, wait. I want to do this. Or, hey, there's a barrel <laughs> over there. I can kick the barrel into him. Or, hey, there's a statue behind me. I want to duck and have him knock, not have him get his sword stuck in the statue. You get, you get this whole range of stuff that you can do that isn't possible in other games just because the GM doesn't want to come up with the rules for it. Oh, yeah. No. And I mean, it's. And that's the thing that I hear on so many other podcasts. Uh, and what I hear from players is like, well, I, I wanted to do this cool maneuver. Couldn't figure it out, and DCC offers it, and that's what you hear from some things. It's like, cool, my fighter's going to do this, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, I heard somebody talking about it on, a, or not her, but they they, uh, they posted up a, a Twitter post about it. Uh, I wanted to do something cool with my sword. Um, I, I wanted to see if I could uh, bounce it off of one character and hit another <laughs> while throwing it. I want to throw that's it, cool. and I want to bounce it off something and hit... Um, I think that one of the other characters had a uh, had a shield or something that they were bouncing it off of, and so they had to bounce it off the shield to impale this other person, and they rolled uh, they rolled their deed die, and then they criticaled on their actual Aww. roll. And so the GM's like, "Yes, do you want them to die or just do damage to them? Die? All right, we won't even have to roll the critical." So it it was it was a fun little. It's a nice little mechanic that I would honestly probably steal for any other system out there. Be yeah. like, all right, cool. We're just going to grab this right quick. You just have to, the only bad part is you have to extend it for another 10 levels. Um, yeah. So <laughs> just kind of like fluff it out a little bit, add, mm-hmm. add a little bit extra in there. Um, but it's, and it's cool because it's got a little fluff to each of them. And I mean, I, don't, I just don't care. I can't think of any other system except for the toolkit systems that are out there that have something like this for a fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just... That's I like true. They, they take the monotony out of playing a fighter character. Exactly. Which is great. Because yes. it, it really can be like... I walk over and I hit him. And then... <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> oh, and it's... It's interesting the way that they handle a lot of things in this is because even though there's so little in the game itself... For a lot of things, I mean, healing, saving throws, morale, or all one page, burning luck to do things, two-weapon fighting, and withdrawal, those are all on one page. Dang it, I should have burned luck on some of those dead guys. (laughs) 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 Right? (laughs) Well, you're gonna die. (coughs) Yeah, I was trying to... Let's at least do something useful. I was trying to keep burning luck out of this just because... Um, we don't um, want all four characters to survive. <laughs> not, True. N- not that. No. Um, it, yeah. I, I expected y'all to use your luck rolls more. Homicidal maniac. But I, I, the reason that I didn't include it is because I expected y'all to use luck more yeah. to try and save yourselves from when the bad things happen or whatever. Um, or to try and like luck out of certain things. And yeah, but none of us have luck. any <laughs> luck modifiers, so yay. <laughs> and yeah, we weren't rolling for shit, so. No, we really weren't. <laughs> so not, unlike other systems, luck is an actual stat that you use for just pretty much anything. 
your luck modifier can be used to affect certain kinds of rolls and things like that. Uh, luck burn is a really burning luck is a really cool mechanic. I don't want to go into too much. I want if you're a thief, it's a very cool mechanic. For yes. everybody else, it's kind of dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, only because they get a bolstering. For that, yeah. Um, I like that. The, the, it's not just like picking up another game. I mean, it, it is, but. What I mean is, when you pick up a lot of things that are... This is technically based on Dungeons & Dragons. And when you pick up a lot of those slightly fluffy versions or whatever, they still feel like D&D. You yeah. still feel like you're yeah. picking up... I mean, Well, a lot of fantasy games that are D20-based, they feel like D&D. Yeah, I mean, like, I love Lamentations of the Flame Princess. I love Labyrinth Lord, but I still feel like I'm playing... A, a flavor of D&D. Especially the OSR games. Yeah. A lot of them just feel like the same thing with a slightly different set dressing. And mm -hmm. But when you pick up this, even though its base core mechanics is D&D, &D, is from that era of, hey, why don't you write your own thing? I don't feel like I'm jumping into something that's a slightly different flavor D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. um, I think the Cleric is one of the best versions of that. Uh... Cleric has some pretty cool powers. Notice I didn't say spells. Yeah. I love that. Um, <laughs> it's not a spell! <laughs> the Cleric's uh, turn on Holy is really interesting because depending on your alignment depends on what your unholy creatures are. And I think that that's just... just stupidly awesome. Yeah. Um, because it, instead of sitting into a campaign and you're like cool, I turn undead, you know, or cool, I turn, you know, evil. It doesn't pigeonhole the clerics or the, anything like that into the, well, you have to be lawful good type characters, right. which doesn't make sense because there are dark deities that have priests and paladins and... Oh, but then you get to rebuke the undead. Yeah. <laughs> it's not turning, it's rebuking. <laughs> which I just... I, and no matter what flavor of D&D I pick up, no matter what OSR game, um, you know, Pathfinder is no different from it you're still picking up a game that still has the base mechanics that feels like D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. DCC is the first one that broke that mold. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if any game is ever going to be able to live up to what DCC did. Um, I don't know if I got that far, but it's very good. <laughs> well, you can't really do that anymore, though, with the way the licenses are. So it's a very... You get to make a new flavor of D&D, &D, but you have to stick to kind of real close to it now, which is why I say that I don't think anybody will ever be able to come this close again because of just how they've made the license. Not that nobody out there has the ability to, but... Um, well, we're not really in the D20 era anymore. Not so many people are making D20 games. Now you've got other systems like Cypher System and um, uh, Savage Worlds, and they have other different licenses so that you are making different types of games that aren't D20 anymore. Oh yeah, no, I, which I'm, I'm definitely loving that. Uh, there's definitely a lot of companies out there that I'm like, ooh, you're putting out a new game, can I afford to get it? Yes. How much is the PDF? I'll just get the PDF. Like, yes. The thing is, I hate, I hate not having a physical book on the shelf, <laughs> but there's some companies that when they come out with stuff, I'm like, all right, what can I buy my wife so that I can get the PDF? <laughs> is, that, is that how this works? That's how this has been working. <laughs> Equivalent exchange? Equivalent exchange. I, I want to say I'm not okay with this. <laughs> you 
want to get all those pretty dresses for that character in your game? Look, I just need a lot of diamonds, okay? Just stop. <laughs> and it's not all dresses. Some of them are pantsuits. <laughs> Wait, I need to write that down. <laughs> you get diamonds for your game. We get another PDF. That's how this has been working. All right, all right. She wants to get the PDF sometimes. You can get the diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> there are some games where I don't have to twist an arm or anything. I'm like, hey, I'm yeah. doing this. She's like, oh, okay, how much is that? That's a good deal. Um, uh, bundle of holding. I will say twist my arm is very strong language for what it turns out to be, okay? <laughs> I'm less apathetic of purchasing the game <laughs> than usual. Well, I mean, when they did the Halloween special for the Palladium games on Bundle of Holding, that... Well, yes, obviously, I would be like, yes, please. That do, was the gimme hands. Do that. <laughs> uh, we still have not gotten to run Nightbane, but uh, I know. I, I got a PDF finally, because I, I have a shelf copy of um, uh, Beyond the Supernatural. Yes. So now I have a PDF of First it, edition so. or second edition? Second edition. They're selling first edition on... Uh, RPG now, which I picked up, don't get me wrong, but it's first edition. It doesn't even have an MDC. <laughs> the only thing I do have to say, uh, first edition over second edition for that, is that um, uh, first edition has mages, second edition doesn't. Um, yeah, I'm still true. waiting on that. So That's true. But back to DCC, because we're, we're <laughs> in one system. Um, so, uh, Dungeon Crawl Classic is not alone. Uh, speaking of other games and other systems and things like that, um, Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, it does have a sister system, which is Mutant Crawl Classics. Oh, yeah, um, it, it's almost like a hinting at Gamma World. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Gamma World was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I see the book, I want to pick it up, but I want a physical copy. I cannot do... I love this game. I love that it's all-in-one. You can put the three D&D books that are starters next to each other and they're about the same height as this and it's the same type of material in both. You get a compendium of monsters, you get all the stuff you need to run the game and you get the game. Um, Mutant Crawl Classics, if I get it, it's still a thick book. It's a beautiful thing. I want the book. I don't want the PDF. Um, because I, I well, also I like flipping back and forth on pages. With this particular game is you have... Um, when you have a character, like particularly a mage, you want to print out of your spells. Oh, yeah. Because Definitely. otherwise, how many books do you have at the table? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Well, and I didn't even realize this. You brought this up. There's an app for it now. And so, I mean, like the app, that's definitely... Uh, one of the things I love about this is each spell has its own page, basically. Uh, sometimes it runs a little over. And um, when you roll, you de- it determines what actually happens. I mean, sometimes you can roll and you're not even like criticaling and you get like extra damage from the spell or the spell doubles or triples or whatever. I loved rolling that 20 on Scorching Ray. <laughs> that was amazing. I, that, I mean, that's just a 20 on something. I mean, you don't even have to go that high to get some cool stuff. Um, I mean, you do have to hit basically about a minimum of 14 to put off a spell. Hmm. Um, but once you start taking spell casting like a wizard, right, it starts getting up there. Because um, you're adding your caster level and your, what is it, personality to it? Uh, I think so. I think it is personality because the minus two. Yeah. I've got yeah. the book in front of me and I don't remember it off the top of my head. I'm so sorry, <laughs> but hey. Uh, 
if you look it up and we got it wrong, <laughs> let us know. Okay, so here, here's a simple spell that almost every player that I've ever sat at that role plays their characters, doesn't just focus on damage, has taken knock. A simple spell. I, I Every character that I've ever had a chance to take the knock spell, I'm like, I need it. I need it now. <laughs> um, so if you get a 14 to 15, it simply unlocks the item. If you get a 16 to 19, uh, it, it unlocks it, but it also goes for things that are outside of the normal. Because the, the, the 14 to 15 is normal size stuff. A 16 and 19 unlocks the gates to the giant, the cloud giant's castle, mm-hmm. or um, uh, messes with the complex clockwork lock devised by a level 20 gnomish locksmith. Um, so, I mean, you start getting all these things that are, you know, uh, bolstered and extra and, you know... As opposed to this spell unlocks one simple non-magical lock. Yeah, and so it, it's kind of nice having that. At the maximum of knock for a 34, um, it actually has a chance that uh, a portal that you're looking into can be destroyed. And um, I mean, it's... But the other cool thing about it is the magic isn't just a slight step away from the Vancian magic that you see in some games when they go... Um, it has something called Mercurial Magic, which you can do different things to gain back spells per day, but you also gain corruption over time and just, like, push yourself into the darkness. Um, <laughs> it's it's a whole different kind of thing. Um, all right, I think she's going down. It, I think in all honesty... I, I, I would love to see a Tome of Magic for this game. Oh, yeah. Um, because I, I feel like there's not a whole lot of spells here. Yeah. And, and I know that sounds crazy, because if, if any of y'all go out there and pick up the book, um, Magic is, a, is quite a few pages. But if you're really looking at it, it's, a, it's basically a spell per page. With the D&D Player's Handbook, you have, uh, what, 10 spells per page, 100 pages of spells, and you're still going, ah, there's just need to be more spells in here. (laughs) This is 100... Oh, my math abilities are horrible. Let me use a calculator right quick. I'll be honest, I do not have, like, the most amazing math skills when I'm trying to do certain things. I'm like, yeah, um... Okay, so there's 174 pages of spells. Wow. However, not every page is a spell. There are some pages where it goes on to the next page and it pushes spells around and, mm-hmm. you know, um, but there is a lot of spells here that you're going to recognize from D&D and other things like that. The one issue I do have is Cantrip is a level one spell. It does not sit separately like you see in some other systems. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you've got things like Color Spray and Chill Touch and... Well, hang on. Is Cantrip like basically Prestidigitation? Kind of, sort of. um, It's basically you're practicing your minor incantations and you're... um, it's basically like Prestidigitation, a minor version of Mage Hand. It, okay. So, I mean, it's basically like all that little stuff that you can do. Right. 
so it's a level one spell. But I mean, if you go over to like five E, it's a zero level. You can cast it as many times as it's you want. There's nice even damage like that you can do with it. Yeah, you don't get that here. Right. Um, however, I think part of the reason that, that is is because you can end up failing a spell and gaining corruption onto yourself, and I think that that's definitely something that kind of plays in why they don't have cantrip as a zero because magic is not the same true um but it does kind of it is one of those things where it's like i've only got how many spells per day yeah uh, okay but i mean unlike D D, where you're looking at it and you've got a spell that you're waiting to level up it can do a crud ton of damage at first level you're still rolling a d20, you can still hit high on the charts and still do a really good amount of damage. Mm -hmm. You don't have to worry about it. And I th think that that's definitely a step above um, what you get when you pick up some of these other games and systems uh, because at the end of the day, you're, you're looking at things as if... Uh, <clears throat> you're looking at things from a whole different viewpoint each of your spells is very crazy, to be honest. Um, I mean, you could just do some... The cleric stuff is cool. Um, when you control the elements, it gets absolutely crazy. Um, and each spell has its own... That's the other thing. It's not just a, hey, you misfired, hey, you did this, go roll over here. Each spell specifically talks about its own, the way that it manifests the way that the corruption happens, and the way that it misfires. Each spell has that. So, to be fair, corruption is not an unusual system in magic systems. There are plenty of systems out there that deal with corruption. So how does it work in this system that's different? So, specifically what happens is each... I've never seen a corruption system that specifically targets the caster's ability to function as a person mm -hmm. casting spells can be affected as well as their physical looks mm -hmm. are affected but each spell does something differently hmm. um, <clears throat> so if we look at monster summoning for instance um, actually no scratch that because that one's oh. so if we look at um, Nithel's porcupine coat <laughs> You roll a d4 to determine what happens. Uh, one is the caster's body hair becomes stiff and quill-like. Two, small quills speckle the caster's face and his nose assumes a hedgehog-like quality. <laughs> Three, the caster's skin constantly itches and may impose a minus one penalty task to tasks that require finesse or concentration. Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not going to read everything so I don't want to give it all away, but each spell does this. And so basically over time you will literally become a monster in and of yourself. Just because you got corrupted a little bit. Right. Uh, there's an image in the book where it literally shows a spellcaster at the beginning of everything, and then after all the corruption has hit and ha ha happened. Huh? We're just talking about how corruption works. Yeah. Oh. I could hear. Okay. You were very loud. As a person. So it, it's a really interesting mechanic. Uh, it operates a lot differently. I've never seen a corruption that works this way. I've seen some very interesting corruption systems. It sounds a lot like corruption in Warhammer. 
except that in Warhammer, corruption is basically off of a single table. Whereas with this one, each spell does something that's custom tailored to the to the spell. Yeah, that's what I mean. I've never seen one where each spell does something different to the caster. Well, that's because it's a lot of work. <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Um, don't get me wrong, I love corruption systems. I really, really do. But this has kind of set like a bar in my heart for corruption yeah. systems that just doesn't exist in the other game right now. Um, there are some really good ones. There really, really are. Uh, Warcraft does a good one. Um, the old uh, Dragon Quest, uh, not the video game, the tabletop game, yeah. has some really cool corruption stuff. I mean, so there are some cool corruption systems out there. Um, going off base, also uh, the corruption at Aberrant, which is an old superhero oh, system yeah. put out uh, by White Wolf. That corruption is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. There's some beautiful corruption systems out there. But, but this one's unique because there's a lot of work put into it. Yeah, there's a lot of work put into <laughs> yeah. it. It's very unique. Um, and and I, I'd love to see more like this. I really, really would. I'd love to see somebody else tackle corruption in this way. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I think, in all honesty, this this has set a bar that I'm waiting for somebody to even, even attempt to get there. Um, because I would even take... A version where it's like, oh, all elementals go off this table, and right. you know, something that breaks out because that's the one thing that kind of bugs me about corruption tables that I've seen is that they're they're either just one table, or there's like a, two or three tables, but they're all still very generic. Right. And I would love to see, oh, well, the element backfires now. Your arm is made of this element forever. Right. Like having a firearm, like, <laughs> <laughs> like you know. Well, what was it? I know, just to reference another show but uh there's another anime that was kind of same time period as um what kind of same time period as uh, the other one we were talking about earlier where there's one of the main characters of the show he's a stone golem technically are you talking about full metal alchemist no 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 um slayers oh yeah where he's he did this <clears throat> he dismissed what his master was telling him about magic and to be careful right. did something stupid and became a stone golem yeah. <laughs> and is now desperately trying to find out how to undo this that's cool yeah yeah right. so see, yeah that's <laughs> when i see these animes and shows and movies and things like that when i come to a tabletop role-playing game i want to play them yeah a lot of times i love the super heroicness that you get with some of the games that you feel but at the end of the day, I want some of these nitty-gritty things. Mm -hmm. I really do. And um, it's hard to find other players that want that. <laughs> True. But uh, so... I want my characters to suffer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it when my character loses an arm. That's so awesome. <laughs> See, I, I, I love playing... I, I love the inevitable bad things can happen to your character. <laughs> that should be another thing we, <laughs> we put together. Something that says, I want my characters to suffer. <laughs> I don't know why I enjoy it, but I really, <laughs> I, I really do enjoy that when that happens to characters. Because you're a like, murderous psychopath. When my characters, I'm not talking about other people's characters. <laughs> because you're a murderous <laughs> psychopath. Actually, that would be a masochist. <laughs> At that however, point, yes. However, if the character never loses the arm, he can never get the cool prosthetic tri uh, uh, minigun. Yes. <laughs> See, I, I don't know. I just I think that there's a lot more fun that can Sounds be like had. Sounds like it came straight from the mouth of my uh, cyber doctor. <laughs> See? <laughs> 
I just enjoy it. If the... I don't cut this off, I can't replace it with something cool. <laughs> <laughs> I just happen to enjoy, on occasion, uh, the, the the mishap that can happen because I feel like it, it it's a good story. Yeah. Um, I feel like it can add to a story. It gives your character character. It gives my character character. Well, and especially when your character loses his arm and then turns around and stabs the boss in the eye. Yeah, take that. You may have taken my arm, but I just took your life. Well, now, that's a cool story. I played... Especially if he stabs him with the arm. <laughs> yeah, that would be a twist. <laughs> I can still hurt you with this. <laughs> played in a toolkit system uh, I don't remember which one it was um, and I we were playing a cyberpunk game and my character lost an arm and we had a side quest to get to this one guy who makes um, hacking arms right and so um, we had to adventure so I had enough points to buy it because everything was bought with the, the, the system points. So I was basically like every time that we gained more points, I would redesign my arm. Right. By the time we got there, I had it was a very streamlined, basic arm, and everyone was like, "Why do you have this?" I was like, no, "I've got very specific reason." It had a supercomputer in the arm. Oh. My character was a hacker, yeah. so I could literally just plug into things and just instantly, pretty much, get us into places <laughs> and stuff like that. But that's cool. You know, I mean, it, we wouldn't have had that chance to go do that right. if we hadn't had something happen. Right. So. I like I, I, I Your like suffering this feel. is for the good of my campaign. <laughs> yes. But I like the idea that something will happen and characters might spend time <coughs> trying to help a fellow player out to get something healed and Well, that's just it. If the damage that a character takes doesn't do anything to inconvenience the character, doesn't give him something to overcome. Then it's not really a consequence of adventuring anymore. Exactly. And there's just no no danger to it. Yeah. I think what's part of the problem I have with a lot of these, like, really, these campaigns you get into where it's, you're just grinding for levels. Yeah. There's no... You take damage and then immediately get it healed because every party has a healer that can do that. Or you've got a potion. Or you have a potion or something. And so it's just nothing's really happening except you're... It doesn't really feel like an adventure at that point. You're just doing some chores to get some points to do with it, to to get a thing, to get to the next module. Well, in the <laughs> in the third edition D and D DM guide, they didn't even talk about it in terms of damaging the characters. They talked about it in terms of using up character resources. So you have this this encounter at this level, not so that your characters get hurt, but so that they use up twenty percent of their resources. So that you, they okay, they can only have five encounters before they have to rest. That's how they talked about it. Which yeah. I mean, from a character, from an adventure design perspective, is fine. But from a storytelling perspective, what the heck are you talking about? That's stupid. Yeah. Oh yeah. It makes no. sense if you have like very small windows of time where you can actually sit down with a group and play because then you can literally plan the campaign so that there are natural pauses to, you know, say, okay, we'll come back to this, you know, next week or the next time we can play. And so that works really well, but that's a very specific scenario in which it is useful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Now, I I think that the system does a lot of amazing things without doing a lot. Yeah. And I mean, there's just a lot of little, you can open, flip to any page and just reading that section is interesting. 
Um, yeah. And the artwork. The artwork is really cool. The artwork is amazing. Um, I like how it changes style. Like, yeah. There's a lot of like artists. Every page that, is like a different yeah. style. <laughs> there's a lot of artists that went into this, and I mean, it's, 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 you get a different feel from every single thing. But the one thing that all of the art has is it feels like the game does. Yeah. Even though they're different styles. I mean, there's even one that looks like comic book. You still like, feel like. No, no, no. Not comic book comic strip funny pages funny pages yes <laughs> let's let's be specific here <laughs> but it still has that same feel that you get with the rest of the book with the rest of the stuff i mean you feel like oh hey you can be lighthearted and have a fun campaign yeah. you can have a super serious campaign yeah. um and, and i think you know you definitely get the feel that it is a osr game you right. definitely get the feel of a lot of the old style stuff in here but like I said, I do not, when playing this or reading this, get the feeling that I am picking up an OSR game or a D&D clone. Right. Um, well, for one thing, it's hardcover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's horrible, but awesome. Sorry. Rude. <laughs> one thing that I will say I wish there was more of is... Um, You've got patrons that you invoke, yeah, and they do a lot of cool things for your character. But there's not a whole lot of patrons in the main book. True, um, but they have supplements. Yes, that have there, additional patrons. There are a lot of patrons out. If, if, if you pick up this game and you look at the patrons and you're like, "What am I looking at? Why <laughs> is there not more WTF?" <laughs> Go out there, and there's there are adventures that in the adventure itself has a new patron. Yeah. And if nothing else, like some of those adventures, they're okay, they're cool. If you're a group that doesn't run adventures, you make up your own stuff, you got to homebrew something, pick some of those up, look at them, or have your, talk to your game master and be like, I've got an idea for a patron, and run through and look at how the patrons are built and create one. Okay, and the reason that patrons are a big deal um, for example, when you're building a pantheon in D&D, it's really easy. You can say, this god has this domain, this domain, this domain. He's this alignment, bam, god done, next. Whereas with this one, each patron has its own charts. Oh, yeah. It has, what all does the patron have? So um, I'm going to touch on the King of Elfland, which is in the main book. Um, he's kind of one of my preferred go-tos. Uh, so when you invoke the patron, different things can happen. Um uh, let's see here. Uh, 12 to 13 is the King of Elfland answers the petitioner's plea, but is quickly distracted by other matters. The caster receives a plus four to his next attack, saving throw, skill check, or spell check. So you can summon them in the middle of battle. You can summon them to help you out with tasks, and things happen. And when you invoke the patron, this is what happens, and something good or dumb can happen. So the first one sounds more like, Mom, Mom, can I, can I buy this? Can you buy this for me? Hold on, honey, I'm on, a phone, on the phone here. Take this 20 and do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> on the flip side, if you roll, if you roll a little bit better, um, you can actually, the, the king of uh, Elfland actually gives you a chance to step back in time. You can rewind by up to six hours. Whoa. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and so you can literally, hey, um, please, I... King of Elfland, you're so amazing. You're awesome. Hey, you know what? I kind of like you today. Why don't you take us hop back in time and go fix some mistakes you've made? Um, 
I mean, I, king, king of Elfland, King of Elfland, help me, help me. This girl I really like. I open my mouth and just basically <laughs> verbal diarrhea it on her face. Help me. Yeah, okay, here. Um, figure out what you're going to say. Practice it a bunch. Six hours back, you're good. Now, the thing is... <laughs> it's not all good. You can actually oh, gain... combat, though. Yeah. <laughs> you can actually gain taint. Um, when you do bad things, you go to these, you go to your patron and you look at the bad things that happen. Um, they're not always, it's a part of the corruption mechanic, technically, technically, it's kind of an extension of it. Um, basically you can end up (coughs) stuck in other planes. You can all of a sudden grow, a Fur, um, I mean, like, the, there's a lot of things that can happen. I don't want to give everything away, um, but it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I, I like when things happen to my character, good or bad. I like my character growing and having a chance to do things. Um, the cool thing is, when you take a patron, you also get additional spells. Oh, that's cool. Um, so, uh, the King of Elfland gives you Forest Walk, Warhorn of Elfland, and the Dreaming. And these don't count towards your maximum spell limit? As I understand it, and as <laughs> I take it, no, because the wording on it says that the King of Elfland grants three unique spells as follows. To me, that says, I took this patron, I get a set of spells that I have access to as long as I'm within good standing of my patron. Right. That's how that stands to me. Very cool. Not... You know, hey, you have to pick these. Right. It's like, hey, you're following me. You're doing what you need to do. Here's your stuff. Yeah. Um, forest walk is. Yeah. So forest walk, uh, it's kind of a weird thing that can happen, but it literally lets you step into the forest and come out the other side, so to speak. Oh yeah, like that tree, that druid spell, uh, long strider. What's the one where you teleport from a tree to another tree? Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of what it's called. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can only think of when they do that in that Batman movie. I don't play. I don't play D. I don't play druids movie. in D and D, so I can't think of a spell <laughs> right. But yeah, no, it's kind of like that. But you can end up a thousand miles from where you were. Yeah. Um, and you can take your allies with you. I oh, took, that's cool. I took so, a wrong turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> where are we? But it's it, it's cool because it, it, if the forest is so many miles apart, like say it's like 50 miles, and you roll well enough, you can take all of your companions a hun- you know, to the end of the forest. You open up right. a doorway into that other tree, and you're just across the forest. What if you didn't like your... Don't like your companions. <laughs> then they can walk the forest while y'all wait on the other side. Then you drop them off at Albuquerque. <laughs> Here, walk through this door. It'll get you to the other side. <laughs> Honest. <laughs> so, uh, that's a first level spell. Uh, Warhorn of Elfland is a second level spell, and it is calling allies from the Elfland realm to you. Oh, cool. Um, and so it's kind of a cool thing that um, if you have access to level two spells, if, you're, if your caster level allows you to do that, then you can cast this spell, get some allies on your side, which uh, the oh, higher... Geez. Huh? I was just looking at the allies you can summon. 
Yeah. Um, there's, there's, there's some really cool stuff that you can end up getting. Um, my personal favorite is the Pixie Archers. <laughs> what? Um, they carry... They get a plus two to melee. It's a 1d4. Um, they have 40 feet of flight. They have... Uh, they can cast sleep. They have... Uh, like, like they're... Their their AC is decent, their health points are decent, they're decent little creatures. And so the idea is that um, if you roll, which uh, the one that, um, uh, each time when you succeed it tells you, uh, you get a, like, uh, let's see here, so this one says, you get a D5 brownie slingers, answer the call, spell lasts for so long, the next one up is, a D5 of Trollish Spearmen supported by a D5 of Brownie Slingers. And so as you successfully go higher and higher, you get them. Uh, the reason I like the Pixie Archers is because the lowest level that you get the Pixie Archers at, they come in as a D10. And sure, everything else at that point is already kind of big, but it's basically like... They're small and easy to transport. Yeah. You can get more of them <laughs> awesome. at a time. I like the idea. Now, granted, when you also get that level, you can get like 20, a, a, a potential 20 trollish spearmen at the yes. same time. But the fact that you get these little tiny... You, you're summoning all these bigger creatures and then all of a sudden all these little ones appear as well. <laughs> they can hide in the middle of stuff. They're tiny creatures. Sure. Um, so... <laughs> that's kind of something I like about it. And they can cast sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, on a scale of one to five, one being you wouldn't even put it on your shelf, five being it's on your shelf, and if people are asking about a fantasy campaign, it's something that you would go for, or something you'd recommend. <laughs> one to five, what would you give it? I would have to put it under Fantasy Hero, but that's just a, for personal preference. So I would give it a four. All right. Um, I, I would probably give it a four as well. It's it's pretty good. I, I think that I would have to give it a 4.5. And yeah, he always does like point whatever. Like I only don't, do half points. I only do half points. Don't point do the half. Six one. <laughs> don't do the half points. Just it's a yay or nay. Like, do you rate it high? Do you rate it low? What, I give it a four point five with a stipulation. <laughs> oh, what's the stipulation? Four point five two. It's like chaotic evil with a hint of good. <laughs> I, I give it. I, I give it a four point five with the stipulation that players are not superly. Uh, murder hobo. Uh, we can't. We start at level zero. Yeah. The issue is, is I've even, we, I've even had a campaign where I started everybody at level two, where you're a little hardier, um, and I gave the max hit points at level zero and level one, and the people who were used to certain types of system games, <laughs> where you're going through a lot of stuff all at once, um, yeah. everybody kept dying. You know, and it's because you can't whoops. be you can't be a murder hobo in this game, but you can be a murdered hobo in this game. I think you can still be a murder hobo in this game, but I think that it, it's coming. It's have a to also lot have a, harder. You have to be tactical about it. Yeah, you have yeah. to have strategy. That's 
And so that's that's my only stipulation on it. Um, I don't think that there is anything about this game that I would change. Um, I can't think of a mechanic that I'm like, you could do. Uh, no, I take it back. Um, I don't know what I would do, but I don't like that there's so few spells per day, even with the spell burn mechanic. Um, there, well, clerics can casts uh, can uh, offer sacrifices to their deity for more spells, right? Is there correct. anything that wi wizards can do besides burn attributes? No. <laughs> so that's pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. So spell burn or nothing. I mean, there might be something that I have missed, um, and uh, you know, please let us know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that that's the one thing I I like playing two types of characters when I pick up a fantasy game. I either like playing a spellcaster, or I like to play a ranger type. Um, and I think, in all honesty, with this, I would play either a thief. Well, I also play thieves, but only because I can make them rangery. Yes. Um, I, I like the sneaky, long-distance types. Uh, and so wizards and warlocks and... Thieves and Rangers are the ones I go to. So, I mean, that's why I would, that's the only reason why I would look at that mechanic a little bit differently is because <laughs> that's my only stipulation with D and, or not my only stipulation, but my stipulation with D and D spellcasting is I only get so many spells per day. Mm -hmm. There's not much else I can do. There are some cool things wizards can do in this that you don't have in other games uh, that are similar, but. Uh, okay, but. What fantasy system is there that you like that doesn't have that problem? Because Rollmaster is exactly the same way. Depending on which PowerPoint variant you use. Yeah, that's true. It, it, I like PowerPoints better because you do get more per day. That's true. Yeah, um, you, and can, that's, you just have to ration your... It, it's just, you have to get a spell adder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because who wouldn't? Right. Make it cheaper. Make it's it cheaper. Like, in a lot of tabletop role-playing games... Unless it's geared towards everyone's a spellcaster at all times, forever. Mm -hmm. Playing a spellcaster is difficult because you either only have so many spells per day or you only have, you know, so many points of a pool to cast from. Or, you know, you're very, very limited in what you can do. So it's always a little tricky playing a spellcaster. It's a lot easier playing... It's a lot more monotonous, but it's a lot easier playing like a fighter or a rogue. That's true, but in 5th edition they kind of overcame that by giving wizards damaging cantrips. Yes, which is great. Uh, I'm playing a sorcerer right now in 5th in edition with cantrips, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Yes, well, that is. E to be fair, Pathfinder does the same thing, 4th edition did the same thing, so it's not just 5th edition. No, no. it's not just 5th edition. Though but I will say 4th edition, 5th edition <laughs> rounded out and made better what 4th edition did. Totally. Um, I can't really say. I've only played a little bit of Pathfinder, and I went for a ninja and a ranger when I played it, so I didn't get to play the spellcasting side of things. They're a d3 so. damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But they can do something. <laughs> I, I like spell point variants, mana derivative yeah. because you do get more per day because my other issue with the Vancian system which this is kind of sort of still has some Vancian flavor to it mm -hmm. is that um, you're still looking at a small section of stuff that you can do yeah and when you add in spell points a lot of times it usually doubles what you're able to do yeah. at minimum and I, I would even take just doubling the amount of spells per day that you can do um, uh, because that would 
that would kind of feel. But I, I don't know how that well that would balance out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I read about a campaign where somebody did do that, where they gave them spell points and people were just casting left and right. Right. And a level uh, two wizard was so corrupted, they were, uh, like, you could barely see their humanity in them anymore. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, so, that, I mean... See, but I feel like that kind of, ba- like, you have to know your players. So it's like, okay, we're going to give you the ability to cast extra spells per day. But there is always the consequence of this corruption that you have to weigh, okay, is this going to be worth it or not? Mm -hmm. And some people are like, balls to the wall, let's corrupt this baby, I'm going to blow everything (laughs) up. And other players are like, ah, no, not worth the corruption today. (laughs) I will say this, though. um, The version of corruption in other systems, it always feels like there's a slight, like this teeny tiny chance that something bad happens to the rest of the party you're with. (laughs) And that always upsets people. And you only really have that chance in the misfires. (laughs) You don't have that with the corruption. Corruption is all about you. Well, the penalty to the party of the corruption is now you have to travel with this monstrosity. (laughs) Well, yeah, but in Warhammer, there was a reason the spellcasters had their own brigade. (laughs) (laughs) They're over there, so no one else has nightmares. (laughs) I like it. I think this is a great system. Um, if you're looking for something a little on the darker side, okay, a lot on the darker side, <laughs> um, go pick up Dungeon Crawl Classic. Uh, it's by Goodman Games. They've been putting out stuff for a long time. Uh, you can actually find their old X Crawl stuff for 3E and 3.5 D&D. Um, they have put out some stuff that's compatible with 5E. I do not know if they did 4E. Um, and I don't know if they have anything for Pathfinder, but their modules are pretty good. I don't normally like to run modules per se, but on occasion, it's nice picking up a module, looking at how a system is supposed to be run. Um, if you pick up the main book itself, uh, in all honesty, there's a lot of games that come with their own modules in the game to kind of give you a feel, but they're still very generic almost. Um, and I have to say, the Portal Under the Stars which is what I was trying to remember earlier, hmm. the portal under the stars that's in the book is honestly one of the most fascinating things. Um, make sure that you're leveling up in the middle of that because you need it. Um, it's a really good, very straightforward character funnel that you will come out the other end and your character's going in as zero levels, starry-eyed, thinking of treasures and things like that. Uh, will come out the other end for the better. So, uh, for the better is uh... <laughs> in a game that tasks that you're not a hero, you're an adventurer, a cup purse, a heathen slayer, a tight-lipped warlock guarding long dead secrets, and you seek golden glory. It is definitely a good staple to have on your shelves. It is definitely <laughs> a good step away from a lot of other fantasy games that are out there. It feels more real. Yeah, it feels more real. Um, it feels more like Conan. Yes. <laughs> now, granted, there is a great Conan system that's already out there. True. But this is one of those things like where if you're you looking... You could probably run Conan. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you want something that definitely feels like old fantasy, that feels like some of the craziness that you read about in books, I mean, this, to me, is the true appendix in... <laughs> System. I want to use my heroic, my mighty deed to stare, my, stare at the guy with my steely gaze and th- and and expand my fuse at him. I almost feel like that would work. Like I just. 
I feel like that that is something that would I, I could see a player doing with a mighty deed. Um, <laughs> it but, worked for Conan. Yes. <laughs> Matt, thank you all so much for joining us. Uh, you can check us out at RPG Hour on Twitter. Uh, we do have an Instagram that's RPG Hour, but we don't really use it. It's usually just stuff that gets uploaded to our... Uh... Part of it is because I don't know how to use Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, and for some reason, I was tasked with Instagram. But they have pretty pictures. We have a few pictures of our, our ugly mugs up on there. Um, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> hey. Your ugly mug. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you think of anything you'd like to see us do, uh, go ahead and check it out. And if our Patreon's already up, uh, please, please, please help us continue doing this. Uh, Su- support your local murder hobos. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> please go out there and rate us on anywhere that you can find us. That way more people can find us. Y'all have a great day.